0: Well, good morning. good morning. Yeah, I want you to know as we get started this morning, this, this is not an ashtray. Backstage, said, what is Dr. Ray doing with an ashtray? I, 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 I'm not a smoker. No offense to those of you that are, but I'm not a smoker. We're talking about health today. I don't want you to think this is an ashtray. This h- help holds up my new iPad. Isn't that nice? I like it. Well, good morning. That was free, by the way. I'm sure you just were dying to know about that little silver thing there. Today is day what of our 50 Days of Transformation? Day 7, that's right. Today is day 7 of 50 days, and as John alluded to it, we're uh, we're allowing Easter to radically change and transform our lives. God wants to transform our lives because Easter changes That's right. Say it together, Easter changes everything. And Easter is just not one day of the week where we kind of go to church and put on our best, you know. Easter is a radical change that God wants to bring every day of our lives. Not only every day of our life, every part of our life, every dimension of our life. God wants to change my health, my mind, my emotions, my relationships, my finances, my job. Easter truly changes everything. Everything. Now, today we want to talk about our physical health, and I'd like to begin by asking each of you to make sure you got a message outlined there, and I'd like you to answer that question on your sheet right there. This is the question. What do you think is the most negatively affecting your physical health today? Take five seconds, 10 seconds, write down your first impression. What do you think is most negatively affecting your physical health today? Now, don't say your spouse. I saw you looking over there. Don't say your spouse, okay? Uh, What is most negatively affecting your physical health? Now, maybe your spouse has driven you to to drinking. Then you can write down alcohol, all right? Alcohol is negatively affecting your health, all right? You guys got an answer? First impression is usually the best impression, all right? Now, let me put a little spin on that. Put it like a hashtag or backspace. And then answer this question: what one thing is negatively affecting all of our physical health? If you were to try to pick one thing that's having a negative effect on all of our health, what do you think it would be? I didn't ask for the answer. I want you to write it down. <laughs> it just ruined my whole introduction. You know I kind of build up to that point of saying --And you just said it, but we'll, we'll go ahead and play along, okay, Because I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll just get my first three pages, I guess.) <laughs> Man, this is a challenging audience. Now, some of you might say the thing that's most damaging to your physical health is drugs. It's the drug addictions, and, 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 and it's no doubt having an effect, really, to some extent, on all of our lives. Um, but some of you would say, hey, you know, drugs is not a problem in my life. Others of you would say, you know, it's, it's alcohol, um, it's the abuse of alcohol, and no doubt we're all being touched and influenced uh, by the use, abuse of alcohol and what it's doing in the lives of our kids. But I'm sure some of you would say, hey, alcohol, you know, it's, it's really not a problem in my life. I don't drink. Um, others of you would say, you know, well, it's probably a, a lack of exercise. The number one thing that's holding me back physically is a lack of exercise. Matter of fact, how many of you attempt to exercise uh, one day a week, at least one day a week minimum? Can I see your hands? Look at that. At least one day a week. Some of you need to raise your hands even if you're not. Go ahead and lie in church. Okay, uh, how, how many of you try to exercise at least three days a week? Look at that, awesome. There's more at three than there's one. That doesn't make sense. Okay, how many up to five days a week? I'm, I'm trying. I don't get there. It's an effort. Definitely physical exercise is not a problem in this church. It's amazing. I, I'm really absolutely surprised. Others of you are saying probably the thing that most negatively affecting my life is the food that I eat, Right? The food that I eat, uh, you are what you eat, and maybe it's not really what you eat. For the most part, I really eat pretty good, but it's the quantity that I have a problem with. It's the quantity of food, and so maybe it's the food you eat. Now, those that go to Christopher's, you don't having a problem. You got some Christopher. The manager goes, to, "Yes, it's a great place. Keep going to Christopher's." All right. So, what is the one thing that's negatively affecting all our health? Now, you ready for the answer? What's the answer? Stress, that's right. We are in a stress epidemic. We really are. And I don't think we realize how it is having such a huge effect upon our health. It is affecting our health. Now, some of us, if we're honest, we kind of love stress. We're called a stress junkie, you know, or a stress addict, or a stressaholic. How many of you are, are one of those? Can I see your hands? I'm one of those. My hand's up, both of them up. I come home, my wife said, how'd it go today? I said, oh, man, it was, a, it was a terrible day. She said, you loved it, didn't you? I said, yeah, you know, and um, I'm kind of sick, and I admit it. I, I like stress. I like challenges. I like solving problems, and I like challenges, and so God gave me the perfect job, you know, and, um, and, I, and as I was preparing this message, I, I was wondering why, and I think, and I shared it at the first service, and it's not in my notes, and it's always dangerous when I get off script because you never know where I go, um, but... Um, and I think the reason why is one of the reasons why is because of my wife. You know, when I go home, it's like an oasis. And I have to do very little. I just but help her and support her. And I can be in the midst of the challenge and the grunt and the hardness of life and job and ministry. And then I go home and it's like an oasis. So thank you, Miss Jan. And I appreciate for the incredible environment that she helps create, which helps me deal with all my stress. And she would probably put on the top of her list what causes stress in her life. She would say her husband, okay? Seven most common sources of stress, seven. Number one is worry. We worry about everything these days, right? And there's a lot more to worry about than like my grandparents' generation. I mean, my grandparents' generation, they never had to worry about theft, identity, identity theft, right? I mean, they didn't have to worry about losing their cell phone. Talk about stress. I don't mind losing my car keys. Just don't lose my phone. You know, I got everything on that phone. And we got new things to worry about every day. And then the pace in our life just keeps speeding up. Hurry is causing so much stress in our lives. We're in what we call a microwave nanosecond world where everybody wants it now or they want it yesterday. And it seems like it's never fast enough. And all this speed of going faster and faster and faster creates stress, kind of like riding my motorcycle, riding a motorcycle. I love riding my motorcycle, and unfortunately, you know, you didn't hear this at church, but I like riding my motorcycle fast. But as you go fast, there's more what? Stress, because you could kill yourself. Those things are very dangerous. I wouldn't buy one. I mean, they are very, very dangerous. So it's the speed that is just tearing us down. Now, please understand, I'm not advocating chronic stress. Chronic stress is very damaging to your life, but stress is part of life, all right? So worry, hurry, and then number three is crowds. Crowds. Wow. It's getting more crowded. Have you noticed that? I mean, life used to be very rural. I have a hard time saying that word. Can you say it? That's right. Now it's what you call urban. 83% of Americans live in or among a city. 83%. 83%. didn't used to be that way. Back in the 1800s, there was only one city in the world that had a population exceeding one million. Anybody want to guess what that was? No? London in the world. London, the only city in the world with a population exceeding one million. Today, there are over 500 cities with population exceeding one million. And then you got those mega cities like Tokyo. With 36 million, we have like about 20 million in the entire state of Florida. That's like two times the size of Florida in one city. That's what you call a crowd. And crowds can create a lot of stress. And with this crowdedness comes what you call pluralism. And pluralism, please understand me, it's a good thing, but it leads to a lot of stress. We now live in a world with, with, in which the people around you are very different from you. Very different different languages, different culture, different religions, different values. And America used to be a melting pot. Now they say it's becoming a stewing pot because all the stress of all the different cultures, pluralism, which is a good thing, but it does create more stress. And with that comes the loss of privacy. I mean, let's be honest. Everybody's watching you and following you these days, not just Uncle Sam. I mean, they know how many Pampers you're buying and when you change from Pampers to Depends. They do. They, they got it all down. I mean, from Hot Wheels to wheelchairs, they know. They, they know it all. And then with that are multiple choices and multiple options that we have in life. How many of you like making decisions? Can I see your hands? Any other sick people too? You just love making decisions. How many of you are tired of making so many decisions? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there used to be two different types of toothpaste. Anyone want to guess? Crest and Colgate, Right? Now there's over 350 different varieties of toothpaste. And when you walk into Publix and you see all that, you know, your teeth love it, you know, but you're, you're dying. You know, all these decisions, what should we do? Multiple options creating a lot of stress. And then fear, fear, the fear of the future, the, the what ifs, what if this, what if that. You know, just look, it's stressful, that's right. Just looking at this list is making me more stressed out and more freaking out, and you kind of just get depressed. And I haven't begun to tell you the huge effect that this stress is having on your health. You know, it seems like maybe it's just my age, but it seems like every other person I know these days has cancer. And so often we think, well, it's the water, it's the food, it's the preservatives, da-da-da-this. I wonder so much. Maybe it's what's going on inside and not necessarily outside. And more than ever before, we have heart problems and clogged arteries and all that stuff. Stress is all around us. What do we do? Well, when all else fails, read the good book, right? And I'd like us to turn this morning to the most famous psalm in the Bible. Last week, we looked at one of the most famous stories of transformation, the story of the prodigal son. This morning, I want us to look at the most famous psalm of all the psalms. It's the 23rd Psalm. And if you've got a Bible or your sheet, look with me. And we're going to notice in this passage today, seven spiritual habits that reduce stress. We kind of look at the seven most common sources of stress, and this is the remedy. Seven spiritual habits that reduce stress. And we find this all in the 23rd Psalm. So out of respect for God's word, can we stand and let's read the 23rd Psalm together? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you. You may be seated. So how many of you this morning would like to be healthier? I think all of us, if your hand's not raised, I I, I feel sorry for you. Um, Look at this verse, and I probably shouldn't have said that, but Proverbs 14.30 says this. You want to be healthier, it says, let's read it together, can we? Peace of mind makes the body healthy. This was written 3,000 years ago. Peace of mind makes the body healthy. It's not always what we eat, but what is eating us that makes us unhealthy. The New Living Translation puts it this way. A relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. As we saw last week, our attitude, our thoughts, they transform us, and we transform ourselves by the renewing of our minds. And so for the next 50 days, we're renewing our minds, we're changing our attitudes. We're developing keystone habits that can have a cascading effect over all the areas of our lives. So this morning, we wanna see the seven spiritual habits that reduce the stress in our lives, that will lead to a healthier life. All right, you with me? Number one, I look to God. I look to God to meet, what's it say? All my needs. All my needs. David said this in the 23rd Psalm, verse 1. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When God is your shepherd, you don't have wants and worries. Because your focus is on the Lord. You see, it's not your circumstances or problem. It's the Lord's. The Lord is my shepherd. You see, worry is nothing more than a lack of faith and focus. Worry so often is a control issue. We're trying to control the uncontrollable. We're trying to assume responsibility that God never meant for us to have. When we worry, we're trying to play God. We're trying to control our universe rather than acknowledging it's God's universe. He is my shepherd. He is in control. Worry just exaggerates our problems. It makes mountains out of molehills. Philippians 4.6 says this, don't worry. Don't worry about, what's the word? Anything. God says it right there. Don't worry worry. Don't worry about anything and anything means everything. Don't worry the Bible says. Instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. David said the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. I don't have wants because God is the source that meets all my needs. God meets my needs so I don't have wants. I look to God to meet all my needs. Needs. Now what do we do? We look to other people to meet our needs, don't we? We look to our spouse to meet our needs, our friends. We look to our, empro- our employer to meet all our needs. And when they don't, we try to worry. We try to control them. This single truth could radically transform your life. Stop looking to other people to meet your needs and look to Christ. Look to God to meet all your needs. Peter says, give all your worries, all your cares to God, for he cares about you. Isaiah says, God takes care of his people like a shepherd. Paul said, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, get this, won't he also give us everything else? I mean, the logic here is obvious. Paul is saying, if God gave Jesus Christ to die for your sins, won't he be concerned enough to meet all your needs? He loves you enough to take care of you. So stop looking to other people to meet your needs. They're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you throw me that bottle of water, honey? So, the next time you get stressed out, the next time you get stressed out, we need to fix that too, don't we? Okay, there we go. Yeah, okay, that's my excessive compulsiveness. Uh, The next time we get stressed out, can you imagine working with me? Uh, The next time we get stressed out, yes, it's no laughing matter. Um, The next time we get stressed out, you get stressed out, man, change your thinking. Tell yourself, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because God is my shepherd. I don't have to be so worried and uptight about my needs. Number one. Number two, the second spiritual habit to reduce stress, I need to follow God's advice about rest. I need to follow God's advice about rest. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me do what? You get that? He makes me lie down in green pastures. You see, so much of our stress in life comes from always being in a hurry, always feeling like we just got too much to do, and we almost create this feeling of panic that we're not gonna get it all done, and we get all tight and knots and all stressed out, and so we're so busy trying to do so much, guess what we do? We don't get what? Rest. And when we do get rest... We don't get rest. We need to follow God's advice about rest. And it's very clear throughout the pages of the Bible. It is so clear. All the way back to the book of Genesis. God created this incredible earth and the world and universe. And then he did what? He rested. Right? And he rested not because he was tired. He is God. He's self-sustaining. He's rested To teach us. He didn't rest because he, you know who he created last, by the way, right? Eve. Some people say he got so stressed out. You know, he, no, no, no. It had nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that he did it as an example for us to follow. I mean, God even made it one of the big 10 commandments up there with murder and adultery. He says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Holy means to separate it, to set it apart, to make it unique from all your other days. Six days you shall labor. Man, you should work hard. You should work hard six days of the week. Do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should not do, what's the word? Any work. You shouldn't check your email or your Facebook. You need to turn off your computer. You need to decommunicate and connect with God and connect with your creator and worship God. I need to follow God's advice to rest. Six days you work. The seventh day you rest your body, you refocus your soul. And the truth is, if we don't lie down, he'll make us lie down. David said he makes us lie down. David was a what? He was a shepherd. He was referring to sheep here. Sheep, they won't lie down. The shepherd has to make them lie down because they lie down, they're in a vulnerable position. The shepherd makes them rest. And David says, listen, if I don't lie down, God's going to make me lie down. Have you found that out in life? That if you don't lie down, if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't rest, God will make you lie down. See, God has wired your body in such a way that you need time off to rest. I'm at my best after a good night of rest. And you're at your best after a good night of rest. You're not wasting time when you're relaxing. You're not wasting time when you're sleeping. It's how God has wired our bodies to cope with stress. But what happens when we get all stressed out? We don't rest. We do the opposite of what God wants us to do. All right? Number three, I need to follow God's advice for rest. And Number three, I need to recharge my soul with, what's the word? With beauty. David said, he makes me lie down in green pastures, green meadows, you see beauty recharges us. Beauty recharges the soul. Beauty motivates us. Beauty inspires us. Beauty refreshes us. Have you noticed how God has made this world so beautiful? I mean, the most beautiful art in the world is God's art. It's creation. So many vibrant colors and animals and shapes and beauty. You know, people tell me all the time, "Man, I feel so close to God in nature." And I think it, but I, I want to say, duh. <laughs> I mean, you should feel so close to God in nature because he's your creator. And when the creation experienced the creator, you feel close to him. You should. God didn't create man and put him in a skyscraper. He put him in a garden. He put him in a garden. And, and I love my garden. I got this long, big, huge preserve. It's not mine. I, you know, and I got permission from the police. And I walk through this preserve area all the time. And I just love it. It just recharges my soul. And I see all those wild flowers and wildlife and wild animals, you know. It just, nature refreshes me and beauty inspires me. I love the Green Meadows. Now, some of you, like my friend Mark, when you hear the word Green Meadows, you're thinking of What? That's right. Golf courses, you know, they inspire you. You know, the, the beauty, even though it's man made, not quite as good as God made, but the beauty of those golf courses, they inspire us. My wife, she's inspired by the beach. We spent about an hour uh, Friday night walking down the beach on Singer Island, and it's just so beautiful. David continues, and he says, He leads me beside still waters. And then he says, Those still waters do what? Restores my soul. Now, the ocean isn't really still, but sometimes the sound of the ocean, it's like still waters. It restores our soul. Green pastures, still waters. Every day of your life, you need to get outside. You want to manage your stress better, eat outside, get outside, enjoy God's creation. Surround yourself with God's beauty. Did you know that art and music are are some of the greatest arguments against evolution i mean if it's survival of the fittest why do we have art and why do we have music i mean it's totally unnecessary for human survival i mean do you find other animals you know drawing some pictures and painting and playing the violin i mean no we're different our soul yearns to connect with its creator we love art we love music Our body was made to connect and to worship God. We find God in creation. We find God in art. It restores our soul. So I need to recharge my soul with beauty, spiritual habit number four. I go to God for guidance. Can you say that with me? I go to God for guidance. I love this verse. David said, he leads me in paths of what? Righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, God, because I'm looking to him, he's leading me down the right path. And this is so important because our lives are so full of stress because of indecision, and indecisiveness, and we can't make decisions. And by not making decisions, decision, we create more indecision. And more indecision creates more what? More stress. God wants to lead us down the right path. He wants to help us to make the decisions that we need to make in life. We need to look to him. We need to develop the spiritual habit of making God the number one source of guidance for our lives. We need to change our thinking. Too often, you know, our number one source of guidance is our friends. Our number one source of guidance is some TV host, you know, or some TV evangelist, or some pop psychology. We need to go to God for guidance. And the reason why God needs to be our number one source is because God will always Tell us the truth. He always tells us the truth. James says, if any man lacks of wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God is waiting to share his wisdom with you. You just need to ask him. You need to get up. You need to develop the spiritual discipline of getting up and reading your Bible and hearing God's truth, of crying out to God, asking for advice, reading his word, and let God guide and direct your life. And boy, that just reduces the stress. God will guide me. And God will guide you. But you know what I've discovered, and I don't like this, but it really is true. God has this way of guiding us at the right time. (laughs) You know, he won't give me the answer until I need the answer. It's Kind of frustrating, you know, and I find that God's timetable is not necessarily my timetable. But I just need to keep praying and keep trusting and keep walking. And as I do that, God will give me the guidance when I need the guidance. See, we want to be in control. We want to know now. And God gives us the guidance we need for today. And the reason why God does that is because God wants us to learn to live in today. And there's enough problems in today. We don't need to be worrying about tomorrow. So focus on today, and God will give us guidance for today. And when we get tomorrow, guess what? God will show up, and he'll give us guidance. He won't give me the answer until I need the answer. And I just need to trust him. And this leads to habit number five. I trust God in the dark valleys. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, the tools of a shepherd, he uses not necessarily on the sheep but to protect the sheep from other Uh, other intruders from wolves. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, we all go through dark valleys and hard times. And it's usually in those valleys where we see the shadows. It's the shadows that create fear in our lives. It's the shadow of death. It's It's the possibility of loss that scares us. And when we were little, you know, uh, we would lay in bed and we were afraid of the shadows. We'd see the shadows show up in our room, you know, and it would scare us because we thought the boogeyman was in the shadow, right? And we were scared of the shadow. But as we grow older, we learn that shadows can't hurt us. Shadows can't hurt us. They're just an illusion. And fear so often is nothing more than just an illusion. Fear is false evidence, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. And it seems so real to us, but it's not real. It's an illusion. It's a shadow. It's a shadow. We also learn that a shadow is much bigger than the actual source, right? And that's what fear does. Fear causes our reality and distorts it. And it makes it bigger than it really is. We make mountains out of molehills because of fear. We overreact. Instead, we need to trust God in the dark valleys. And I find it amazing that throughout the Bible, some 365 times, one day uh, for every day of your calendar week, calendar year, God says, fear not. Over and over again, God knows us human beings. And he says, fear not, fear not, fear not. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Fear not, fear not, fear not. And I don't know what dark valley you're in. It could be the the death of your job, the loss of your income, the loss of your health or your wealth, or a loved one. But when we suffer loss, we need to put our trust in God because he protects us and he cares for us. And what I've learned, and I've learned it through the dark valleys, that I don't have to have the answer anymore to the why. All I just need to know is my creator. When you know God, that's really all you need. You don't need to know the how. You don't need to know the why. You just need to know God. And you just need to put your trust in him and put your focus on him in the valley rather than our circumstances. Spiritual habit number six. I love this. Can we read it together? I let God be my defender. Very hard to do. At least it is very hard for me to do. I let God be my defender. David said, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You see, David knew what it was like to be under attack, not just emotionally or verbally, but physically. King Saul was trying to kill him. David was hiding actually in caves. And as fate would have it, the king comes in one of those caves to go to the bathroom. David had a chance to kill the king to become the king. And he chose not to do it. He never retaliated He understood what it meant to be under authority. He never even said a bad word against the king. It's remarkable. Verse 5 is a metaphor. David is saying, God is so good to me. He is my defender. He is preparing a banquet in my honor in front of my enemies. I'm going to let God defend me. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to use so much emotional, mental energy, always trying to defend myself. God will be my defender. What's your response when people say bad things about you? What's your response when people tries to harm you or hurt you? You know, in life, if you live life long enough, you're going to find some people that are just not going to like you. Some people find that hard to believe. Some people just aren't going to like you. You know, regardless of what you do, how do you respond? You know, I find, not in all those circumstances, but in a lot of those circumstances, I am most like Christ when I remain silent. And you are most like Christ when you remain silent and you let God be your defender. Spiritual habit number seven. I expect the best in life and death. I expect the best. David says in verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know how you can tell if you have a a spirit of fear in your life? You know how you tell? You are what I would call a what ifer, you're a what ifer. You're constantly thinking, what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if? What if? What if? What if? You're a what ifer, and you're just what ifing all the time. And because you're what ifing all the time, you're living in a state of fear rather than a state of faith, and you're stuck, and you're creating an enormous amount of stress in your life. Because you're afraid, you're always expecting the worse rather than expecting the best. You know, one of the most difficult things in getting approval to, to build this church and Main Street and this whole development and going through all that is you'd meet with all these neighborhood groups you'd meet with people, and they were just what-ifers. You know, and it was what-if, 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 what-if. I remember leaving those meetings, and I would not say it at the meeting. I tried, as I said a minute ago, to try to practice what jesus did but i would leave there thinking man i don't want to be like those people to live life what if in yourself to death afraid of the shadows afraid of everything afraid of every possibility rather than living a life of faith in which you expect the best rather than expecting the worst david is saying because god is in my life Because God is my shepherd, I will always expect the best. He says, love and goodness and mercy are going to follow me. Those are the kind of phrases people think of like like a shepherd. The shepherd is leading the sheep, and then you got the sheep dogs. That's faith and love and grace and mercy. They're usually behind the sheep, kind of keeping them, moving them towards the shepherd. That's what David's talking about here. He says, God's goodness and God's mercy and God's love is always going to be in my life. I'm expecting the best. Regardless of what happens, because God is my shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And he says, and I will dwell with the Lord. What's he say? For what? Forever. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about even the midst of great loss. I've got faith. I've got faith, David is saying. The Lord will be with me forever. There's nothing better than living a life of faith rather than a life of fear. And a life of faith starts when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. When you put your faith in the resurrected and living Christ, it begins to transform your life from being a person of fear to being a person of faith. And that's the greatest transformation in the world to live life expecting the best rather than living life in fear, always expecting the worst. God wants to transform your life, but you've got to put your faith in him. You've got to trust him and let God begin that art of transformation in you. Can we bow our heads in prayer? Can we pray right now? God's waiting. God is waiting for you to ask him, for you to ask him to save you. Can you do that quietly right now? Can you just acknowledge your sin? Can you say, God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. God, I acknowledge this morning that you sent your one and only son to die for me. And I invite Jesus Christ to come into my life, to change me. Come into my life. I'm tired of being a what if-er. I want to be a person who expects the best. I want to live by faith. Come into my life and change me. Can we all pray this morning, God, I want to live a healthier life. Can you say that right now Got to yourself? God, I want to live a healthier life. Help me to look to you to meet all my needs. Help me to follow your advice unrest help me to recharge my soul with beauty help me to go to you for guidance help me to put all my trust in you even in the losses of life help me to let you be my defender help me to expect the best in life and even in death God, I pray this morning for spiritual and physical transformation because Easter changes everything. God, help us. Help us to get our journals. Help us to get in a growth group. Help us to grow. Help us to open up our hearts. And may these next 50 days be times in which we really renew our minds and we change and we grow and we're involved in change and transformation that sticks. God, do your work in us. Transform us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.